Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Archery Country Podcast. This is your host, Wade, as we are warm and fuzzy in the Rogers studio this morning. Negative 26 degrees outside. I'm sitting across from Mr. Dan Block, the manager at Archery Country here in Rogers, and on the line, the man with the golden voice, the man that can roll words off like water beads on a blade of grass. Mr. Evan Williams from Marketing Events Coordinator and Technical Advisor from the one and only Hoyt Company out of Salt Lake City, Utah. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing good, Dan Wade. Yeah, we're definitely about like 65 degrees warmer than you guys are, though, so I'm really good. <laughs> Dan is in a down jacket. I'm in a down vest. We're inside. It's 65 in here, but... I'm still cold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All day long. <laughs> we do. But that's why we shoot the carbon bows, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Evan, uh, we had an awesome podcast, one of our most listened to podcasts last year, and we had to have you back on. It's Now it's become kind of a ritual because you guys have knocked it out of the park again. But before we get into the products of 2022 and the lineup, um, take us on a little joy. How was your fall, dude? Uh, it has been a rough, not just fall, but rough season for me all around. Um, See, it is January 7th, which means I have not drawn a bow back on an animal now in 402 days. Ooh, Evan, <laughs> you need to come to Minnesota. So, I, for negative 26, I'm good. <laughs> we'll go another 500 days before I do that. Yeah. No, and it, um, had a really rough spring um, doing some turkey hunting. Our numbers are really down where I hunt and um, had found one mature bird that I wanted to focus on. And I think some of the neighbors had played with him just enough that he was skittish enough and didn't like any of the decoy sets, single hen, dual hen, solo Jake, Jake hen combo, um, full strut, three-quarter strut. I tried every decoy combination I could think of and could not get him to make any kind of commitment. So um, played with him for nine days and never got an opportunity on him. Dumb turkeys. And then, oh, I'll tell you what, they are the dumbest smart bird. I'll tell you, oh, they will, they will humble, humble you, that is for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, especially when you refuse to pull out a boomstick. So. <laughs> yep. But, uh, you know, went from there to, uh, to our annual Colorado hunt. I've got a buddy that comes out from PA and we've got a unit I've been in now for about 11 years and we've had really, really good success. It's about a seven and a half or so percent success rate for public land archery in that unit. And the last, well, the last three years that we've been in there, We've taken four bulls between the two of us, um, so much better than the average, and this year we did not see a legal bull. Um, spikes and cows, which on our tag is, is not a legal animal, even with a cow. So super, super rough. Um, came home for a week, 
and had some buddies from Tennessee go out to a different unit. I drove out for the weekend to try and help them out, and same thing, ran into hot weather the third week of September, um, super quiet animals. We heard one bugle in three days and put on, I think they tracked us a total of 34 miles in three days. So, Were you guys really dry this year? Um, or where you're hunting? Where our, you're... our unit in Colorado that we started in um, was not. It was actually wetter than we've seen um, the last couple of years, which more moisture there spreads animals out. Um, just didn't have the didn't have the dryness in that specific spot to kind of pull animals into you know the specific known seeps. There was just a little bit of water everywhere, and it spread things out further than we're used to seeing in that unit. Um, the other unit that we went into later in the year, they were considerably drier. Um, pulling out maps and looking at, at stuff where they had hunted five days before I got there, um, they only had two watering sources marked in all of what they had covered. Um, so it was that part was a challenge because it was one of those trying to Find dark timber for bedding areas, coupled with the water and food sources that were almost non-existent. Um, it was it was a struggle. So, and they'd hunted that unit for three years, and uh, no one in their group has pulled an animal out of there. So, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, in 2022, you're going to fill four tags. <laughs> I hope I have four tags. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Kansas, um, after that, so we took, you know, October off to get ready for launch and, uh, you know, make sure the wife's happy that I get some time at home. Got to do that. Um, took off to Kansas, um, and we had, we had one consistent buck on camera, fairly patternable all summer, uh, three to five day spurts, um, showing up within about a hour to hour and a half time window in the evenings, you know, on that three to five day cycle. And October 31st, he doubled up on us. Um, first time, same direction in that same time window. And then three hours later, he came back through going the opposite direction. And my baby was out there at the time, thought I wanted to hunt him. And so he was staying away and we had a conversation mid-morning on the first like you need to you need to go in there sit on the north side of the river over the cut corn i said he's got to be in there he's got to come back down that that creek drainage there's a bedding area on both ends he's just hitting his cruising circuit right now and he went in there and killed him 90 minutes later at 16 yards so he was a 165 inch and they said he was only a four and a half year old which kind of fooled us. We thought he was five and a half or pushing six and a half. Um, it turned out not to be a buck that we thought he was. Um, and then our assistant marketing manager had drawn that tag. So when we got out there, my main focus was trying to get him on a mature buck because he has never hunted whitetail. Grew up in Colorado and moved to Utah six years ago with me and, 
never gotten to go and experience that. So we were trying to find anything and everything we could and from tree stands to, you know, random quick saddle sets or, you know, pulling a decoy sitting on a fence line out in the open and um, just couldn't couldn't quite get done. Had a had a real good encounter the last morning that he was out there with us and decoyed in a probably would have went upper one thirties. Um, just a good four and a half year old nine that was a buck that we've known about and just bullies everything around in that area. It doesn't matter if it's a little year and a half old spike or if it's you know one of our more mature you know 150 inch 10 points at five and a half he's going to push him around and he had broken everything off except for three times and <laughs> we pulled we pulled him in between the decoy and the blind had him at six yards on film taylor was at full draw and the angle of the blind and where the buck was at he turned broadside and was posturing into the decoy and Taylor thought he was going to charge and take him out. So kind of pushed the shot a little bit and ended up just barely nicking the edge of the window with a fixed blade broadhead and put it right in front of this buck's face at six yards. Mm. So that was, that was the extent of, my season tried to make it back found a found 175 inch about two days later we pulled cameras before we left um gorgeous buck 175 inch probably 19 inch inside spread just lays way out and my plan was to go back over thanksgiving and try and put some time in on him They'd had cattle in this pot, and it has taken all the cover out and pushed these deer into a big cedar draw. And on the north was cut corn. The south is alfalfa, and you've just got this nice long buffer strip behind the landowner's house, thick red cedars and hardwoods. And I had him down to where I thought I knew he was crossing back and forth between his bedding and a food source and came back, wasn't feeling well, and that's positive for COVID and never got back. That'll do her. That'll do her. So that, that'll slow. end the season, and now we're going to see how long this streak is going to have to continue before <laughs> I get a drop back on something. Well, uh, it, it'll turn around. It'll turn around. And the reason it's going to turn around is because you're probably shooting one of the new bows. Hoyt's well, launch. You know I am. <laughs> Hoyt's launch for 2022. Uh, in the carbon line, we have an RX-7 and we have an RX-7 Ultra. In the aluminum setup, another flagship, we have the Ventum Pro 30 and the Ventum Pro 33. Outstanding bows, extremely well uh, received by the customers, everybody that's shooting them, it's changing their minds. They come in for one thing and they're going to the other. Uh, we were very, very impressed here in the shop. I know you guys, uh, we're going to talk, if you don't mind, let's take a roll on the carbon line first, and then we'll talk about the aluminum uh, that we don't want to forget about. But the RX-7 and the RX-7 Ultra, you guys, uh, you, last year 
we switched cams when we talked to you, the HBX. Now we got an HBX Pro. But the riser, the first thing right out of the box, something looks different. Give us give us the 101 on the new RX-7s. Yeah, so for the RX-7 product cycle, um, we wanted to completely redesign and re-engineer the carbon riser itself. Um, since the inception of carbon, we've had the carbon riser with a machined aluminum head that is glued on that accepts your limb pocket and the rest of your bow. Nice thing about that is if you think about it like a tightrope, the longer that tightrope walker's lever or bar with weight on the end, the better that balance is. Same type thing with the carbon riser. You have a super, super lightweight core, and then you put your weight out on the end for better balance. One thing that that started doing for us is that started adding extra weight. Our carbons went from you know 3.9, 4, 4.1, and with more machining and material in the cams to satisfy our 1,000 or sorry 1,500 cycles for um, dry firing and 1 million draw cycles. You've got to get more material in the cam, added more weight. So to get weight out of the bow, we went to a 100% carbon to carbon structure. So the heads go right from the riser up into the limb pocket, um, took that entire aluminum head out and dropped that mass weight down. Last year we were 4.3 pounds on the RX-5 short, and we dropped all the way down to 3.9. Which is a sought-after thing about when you say carbon. Um, Hoyt, Mm -hmm. and I can safely say this, they pretty much dominate the carbon industry when it comes to bows, but it, it wasn't a negative thing, but it was a eye opening thing last year on the weight. And you just explained it in perfect detail. That's why they did it. And then this year you brought it back down 3.9 pounds on the RX seven. And then the ultra, Four, uh, 4.3, 4.3, three, right? yeah. Yeah, ultra is 4.3. Um, and again, you have a longer overall riser construction, um, so when you get to redesign a riser, you can also play with the limb angle and the grip geometries, and there's all kinds of fun you can have with it. So in the years past, our short axle axle model bows and the longer axle axle bows have actually had two different limb lengths. You know, the short bows are going to run an 11-inch limb. The longer axle axle bows are going to run a 12-inch limb. And that allows us to also push those draw lengths to a longer 32-inch on the ultra versus um, either staying at 30 or only getting to that 31-inch mark. And then so, your brace heights are very appealing as well when you do that. Six and a quarter on the shorter bow and then seven on the uh, yep. ultra. Mm-hmm. Seven on the ultra. Yep. Yep. So, so, so what's different about with, the... If, if I can ask, sorry to cut you off, but what's different on the the Pro cam compared to just the standard HBX cam from last year? Yeah. So living in the same family, it is still a complete redesign. So what we noticed in some consumer tuning issues was how far it visually appeared that your arrow was being pushed out. So instead of setting up your center shot at 
three quarters of an inch. What we were finding is the sweet spot for tuning was actually like 15 sixteenths, which mm -hmm. is enough out that if you go string down the center of your grip, it will look like your arrow is pushed out to the left for a right-handed archer. Mm -hmm. It tunes great there. Broadhead, bare shaft, paper tuning, walk back tuning, like that is, that's their sweet spot. Visually, most guys, whether you're a consumer, you're working in a shop, you look at that like, I don't like the look of that. It shouldn't be there because everything isn't in line. Mm -hmm. Well, when you start adding induced torque from the draw cycle, and again, with a carbon, we built in the flexibility for that riser to move where we can manipulate how that bow shoots so that everything lines up and gives us the performance that we're looking for, the benefit of carbon. So when you come to full draw and you get those torques induced into it, everything lines up. When it's at rest or at static position, that's where it doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. So with the HBX Pro Cam, what we did is we redesigned the hub point on that cam, redesigned the module, and have adjusted where that cam spacing is set at so it brings that center shot back in so visually it now has that look that most people are, okay when I set a bow up I want to go string down the center of the grip and I want my arrow right here and, and mm -hmm. things line up better that's I that's my happy place right nice. so, so we got we got a smoother draw cycle out of that as well um, yeah. Is, is it back to like a three-quarter center? A 20... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, and it, and it again, it's going to depend on how you physically get into the grip. Right. Um, mine came in, I think my center shot finished on this one at 7.8. Nice. So I'm still pushed out more than that three-quarters, but I am still inside of where my RX-5 and my Benton Pro 33 were tuning. And in, in the process of redesigning that cam, and then we also noticed some shock pods have changed locations. It To me, now we don't have a decibel reader in the shop or anything, but you can tell when we shoot in our demo, it seems quieter in my mm -hmm. mind. Um, yep. is, is that something you guys 20, have? Okay. 26%. Yep. Oh. yep. So what we noticed, and especially, again, you have an aluminum pocket on that RX-5, where you have all carbon on the RX-7. So with the RX-7, we brought both shock pods, so there's still a pair of them on there, but both of them are on the same side. So it's the, it's the shelf side of the bow. And rather than being machined into an aluminum head that's not there anymore, what we found is we still have that steel bolt that's connected to an aluminum dowel in a limb pocket. Well, anytime you have steel and aluminum, you have vibration and all the harmonics that are going to go along with that. So if you want to kill noise and vibration at the source, that's going to be your main source. So in that limb pocket dowel, we actually drilled and tapped into that, and our shock pods attached directly into that dowel so that noise and vibration is killed 
as it goes right into the riser. So we're reducing hand shock, noise, and vibration all at the same time without adding extra weight because we don't have four shock pods. It's still two, but we're killing from the top and the bottom uniformly. Amazing. That would answer why. <clears throat> Another thing that now, I noticed, right? Go ahead. If, I say, if you have a consumer that wants to kind of load up one side or the other, you can purchase an additional set of shock pods, and you can put four on them. You can put two on top. You can put two on bottom. You can take your one off top. You can put it on bottom. You can take your one from the bottom, put it on the top. You could have one opposite side. Those dowels are threaded all the way through, so you can have none. You can have four. You can have two in whatever configuration you want to do. Again, customizable. Nice. Have you played with that? Um, I have not on my current setup. Last year, on my Venom Pro 33, I put a lot of mass weight on to compensate for the potential wind I knew I would deal with in Kansas. Mm -hmm. So I had enough added mass weight. I actually took my shock pods off just to save me the you know couple ounces that they have on them. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm also, me personally, hand shock and vibration is not as important to me as execution and balance. Mm -hmm. I agree. Exactly. Um, I got to ask you this, you guys, the engineering team that you have are there, they're flawless. Uh, always, always redesigning the wheel, making it better. <clears throat> I didn't think that you could make a grip better than the previous models in my mind. Um, aftermarket or direct from the factory didn't matter. It was a very, very, repeatable uh, yeah it know. just it felt like when you grabbed it you're boom you could have a blindfold on it yep this is a hoyt it throats your hand the like i say i didn't think you could make it better but you somehow did can you explain a little bit on the grip yeah so our new grip is the vital point grip um we actually flattened the grip angle so if you imagine going and taking your wrist and putting your wrist into the bow the more your wrist comes up or into a high wrist position, the more susceptibility you have to your wrist breaking from not a strength aspect, but you don't have that connection because in that high position, your wrist has more range of motion and flexibility. You can move it more. As you get more heel down into it and you start to put more pressure uniformly through your hand into that bow, you have a more solid connection between your body and the riser. So by lowering that grip geometry, we have a more uniform distribution of contact through your grip. More consistency, better accuracy, easier to tune. The material itself, um, we've actually got a co-blend, uh, it's not a polymer, um, but it's like a rubber, a texturized material that has a very light tack to it that allows you to, even with a um, wet hand or a sweaty hand, you can get in there and it doesn't allow you to slip and slide and move everywhere. It's got enough tack that you can get in and comfortably get in the same spot with consistent repeatability and not be sliding all over the place. And that's what you call the VersaFlex? 
vital point. Yep. Vital. Okay. So the grip, the bow, um, it's hard to frost a cake that's not baked, so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The RX-7 and the RX-7 Ultra is considerably more money than the aluminum bows. We have questions all the time, and this is two guys coming from a pro shop asking one of the vital points of, no pun intended, (laughs) parts of Hoyt, (laughs) one of the guys that knows in and out. This is your job to answer these questions. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Earlier, before we pushed record, you gave an outstanding description to a consumer, listener. Why would the RX-7, the carbon bow, give us some key points of why it may excite somebody and then also why you guys make an aluminum, very, very great flagship bow and obviously cheaper, which some folks, you know, that is a consideration that we got to take into fact. Run us down that tour between, like, the two heavyweights put together. Why would one somebody choose the other or consider it versus the other? Yeah. And there's a couple factors that go into that. Um, uh, aluminum is a stand-apart product and material in our industry. Every single manufacturer uses it, including us. That material is considerably less cost per unit than what it does as far as cost-wise per unit on a carbon. And when you want to do true apples-to-apples comparison, you want all things equal. So in my mind and in reality, you shouldn't be comparing any manufacturer's carbon bow to any other manufacturer's aluminum bow because they're not the same. You have different riser configurations, different flex patterns. Um, They are built and designed for two different purposes. One of the benefits of carbon, especially for guys that are hunting in colder temperatures, is the thermogenic properties. Okay, so it's it's heat and cold transfer. Carbon does not have the ability to absorb or reflect cold like aluminum. It's thermodynamics. So when you are in a tree stand or you are in your box blind, and it is 27 below, when you go to grab that riser with a bare hand, you won't feel the shock in your system, and you won't freeze to a riser. So if you are a late-season hunter, or you are someone that hunts late-season up north because of getting those cold temperatures sooner, Carbon would be a very, very good option because of the thermogenic properties of that riser. The other benefit of carbon being lighter mass weight at 3.9 on the 7 or 4.3 on the Ultra for the longer guys is whether you're a Midwest guy that's traveling out west to hunt mule antelope, elk, um, any of those western big game species, when you're out, for a 10 plus day backpack hunt and you're covering 12 to 16 miles a day, do you want to carry a mass weight bow that starts at four and a half, five pounds and then you have all of your accessories on it? Or would you rather start sub four pounds and go ultralight accessories, everything as tight as possible and be a minimalist and be more functional and efficient because you have less weight, less drag on your body 
for that duration. To me, that's one of the, the biggest benefits of carbon is I can start with a lighter mass weight bow. And when I go to Colorado and I know I'm packing in for seven days and I'm staying no matter what, as many miles as I have to do a day, my buddy and I, we're going to go do it. We're going to start with a lightweight bow. We're going to keep all of our accessories to the bare minimum because realistically, I'm not taking a shot over 50 yards. That's a big vital section on an elk at 50 yards. I'm okay with a little bit of float. When I go to Kansas, when I go to spot and stock mule deer or antelope, I'm not covering necessarily as much ground depending on where I'm hunting them. If I'm going into a tree stand back east and hunting whitetails, I might only be hiking in 100 yards. I might hike in 400. But I'm going to go to that spot. I'm going to get up in my tree or, or get into my blind, and I'm going to sit and wait. If I'm out in the open, my adrenaline's going to be going. I'm breathing hard. There's environmental conditions with the wind. I'm putting as much total mass weight on that bow as possible. So I have the flexibility in carbon to be super light, or I can weight it up to whatever I want to be for balance, for feel, for hold, for shot consistency. And you can, that brings up an excellent point, which we've talked about and exercised a ton in the shop is you can weight up a bow in the right areas, um, yep. below the grip. Yep. That's why your stabilizer bushings where you guys mount them. That's why you have the back bar offset bracket as low as we've seen anywhere. Um, so and, you can and even, utilize even lower on this year's. Oh, it is lower. Yep, we were actually able, yep. We were able to move the bracket lower this year in that riser redesign. And so we're kind of, we're kind of fighting two currents. Um, especially when guys that haven't experienced a back bar, uh, it doesn't have to be a 12 inch target bar, you know, side rod, even a six inch, there's ways that you can balance that. And when I say we're fighting two currents, because now when we talk about the inline system with your Picatinny rail and which, uh, hats off, to the way that you've already incorporated in both models, the aluminum and the carbon. And then, you know, when we talk the ultra rest, the integrate system from, from Hoyt, uh, like we're, so we're putting everything in the center, right, right over the throat of your grip. So things balance a ton better. Not that I'm saying get away from a side rod, but you can utilize a different side rod, less weight, you can add more weight if you need to on that side. And then you're, you know, we're going to talk about your accessories and what we, what you guys have done with that, which is eye opening as well. There's, that's the cool thing about the bow. When we're talking the RX-7, RX-7 Ultra, you just nailed it on the head. You can have a super light setup or you can weight it correctly for, you can customize it more or less. In the Carbon RX-7, we have a it's a 30-inch bow, 6-and-a-quarter-inch brace sight, 3.9 pounds. The draw length is 25 to 30 inches. There's just two mods. We switch them out if we need to go longer or shorter. Uh, we can get that all the way to 80 pounds. We can get it down to 40 pounds. Uh, we talked about this in our rated. I don't know if you listen to our podcast, Evan, but we did, uh, Dan and Keith and I, we rated the big three of our shop. And uh, Hoyt has had the highest rating it's ever had. And it utilized uh, one thing that we did talk about is our our younger shooters or our women who want a carbon bow. Now we can get the draw weight down 
adequately for them in both models. Yep. Uh, the Carbon yep, RX-7 Ultra is 34 inches axle axle. It's a seven inch brace height, super forgiving, 4.3 pounds, still extremely light for such a big bow, 27 to 32 inch on the draw. And then again, 40 to 80 on our pounds, 80 pound max. Uh, you can order those limbs. So that kind of that kind of takes care of our carbon lineup. I just want to switch the page over. Uh, a very very well taken bow, outstanding platform. Sometimes we overlook the Venom and the Venom 33. Now we have the Venom Pro, which has the new HBX Pro, and you guys have changed the riser just ever so slightly. But uh, let's transfer over to the aluminums and really dissect. Uh, we'll start with the Venom Pro 30. So the, the Ventums are actually like what I would consider my babies, my bread and butters. Um, I like mass weight, again, right around that hand. So the, the Venom Pro series, the 30 and the 33, um, are kind of the, the sweet spot for what I've always liked. Um, I've always looked first at spec and kind of chosen based on that what bow I want to run. The Venom Pro 30, spec-wise, is going to be identical to the Carbon, except for the mass weight of the riser. The aluminum will be heavier. It's got the built-in pick system. So right into the front of the riser, on the Venom Pro series, you have the Picatinny system machined into the riser, where last year you had to bolt on a separate block. Mm-hmm. With the redesign of the bridges in that riser on the lower section, we were actually able to take that SL sidebar mount location and get it even down lower below the grip to bring that center of gravity or that that geometrical center for balance lower towards the limb pocket. It's got a 6-inch brace height, shoots 342 feet per second, the two-module system, you can go from 25 to 28 in the number two mod, 28.5 to 30 in the number three mod. Again, it's got all the same technology, all the same engineering built into it at a lower price point and a heavier riser design. And again, that's, that's one of my favorite bows, but the 33 is my baby. When I look at specs, I like a six and a half brace height, 33 axle axle. The string angle there for me is perfect. Um, I'm five foot nine. I have a 28 and a half inch draw length, kind of average in the U.S. and and across that hunting space is that 29 inch. So by going to a 33 platform versus a 32 or even the 34 that you see in the Ultra, that 33 allows us to hit 29 on the money for the top of the number two module. So that draw length for the number two mod is going to be 26 to 29. And that's kind of where you're going to see that, that up into the performance. So if you're, if you're a 28 and a half, 29 inch draw length guy, really strongly go look and play with that Venom Pro 33. You're going to get peak performance there. And then that 33 platform still allows us to go and hit that 31-inch guy and give some of those 
longer draw length archers the option of having a very good bow, perfect string angle at that lower high-end flagship aluminum price point versus jumping straight into a carbon because I'm a 31 plus draw length. I don't have any other options other than that one. And there must be something to it. Um, obviously, you guys do a great job of helping us out and then also our rep. Uh, when we took the mods and we did some testing here before release day, the 33 is flies off the shelf. Uh, I would say probably six to four uh, periodically through the day. The 33s are, they're not, they're not pushed, but we have a lot of guys in that 28 and a half, 29, and the bows are precise on the draw length where the 33 is, it, it, the string angle, like you talked about, not being as acute when they hit that peak and they fall into it, very, very smooth cam, very smooth draw cycle. The bow is still very fast, uh, and then that platform, it gives you, I would say, a little bit more forgiveness in my mind, uh, a little bit steadier on the shot. Both of them are very, very ergonomically built to where they're going to be a steady platform, but it's uh, the 33 is, is by far one of our best sellers, uh, on, and for that reason that you're telling. Yep, and, and especially the guys, you know, Coming from a shop and you know only having one bow a year, I wanted to find something that I could personally shoot. Our indoor summer three Ds spots and be able to hunt with it. And that thirty-three inch platform, because of the string angle and the comfortability of it, allows an archer to shoot every aspect of target of hunting, ground blind, spot and stock, tree stand. There is nothing that you can't do with a 33-inch axle axle bow. Nothing. It's not it's not long enough to hinder you in most hunting situations, and it's not short enough to cause issues with accuracy when you're trying to hit a 12 ring at 51 yards. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, both of them. Both of them exceptional. Now, when we say the, we do have the HBX Pro Cam, that was the same thing that you talked to, to Dan about earlier. That was incorporated into this for our center shot and making things eye up just a little bit better. Yep. The yeah. uh, and, and Evan did a great job talking about the specs on the Venom Pro 33. It's 334 IBO, uh, our 33 axle axle, 6 and 3 eighths, 4.67 pounds. Um, 26 to 31 on your draw length. And then again, 40 to 80 comes in some phenomenal colors. Again, as we look, we, we talked just a little bit about the, the pro pick rail uh, incorporated into the aluminums, also incorporated into the RX-7 and Ultra, a very clean finish, very nice lines, uh, very sturdy when it comes to mounting a sight. Like, how do you get any better than that? Uh, we, you still have your, the ultra rest, the integrate, the dovetail on the back of the riser. Uh, you still last year was new to us as a shortstop stabilizer, which is, is basically a stabilizer and dampening system all in one. Uh, we still have the SL sidebar mount, which you explained to us is lower this year, which helps out a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, let's a little bit on your quivers, uh, Hoyt quivers last year are very, very hard to get. And 
the reason being is because they're sought after. But you guys have redesigned that a little bit, especially on the adjustable. Yep. So the look of them is very similar to what we've done in the past. So the, the, the hood of the quiver is the same. What we redesigned was not just the gripper and the gripper material, but the adjustability of the quiver laterally. So when it sits on your bow, rather than having a set or a fixed distance on what we call the standoff, that's the, that's the bracket that mounts from your quiver physically to your riser. When you used to get those, you used to get um, on a two-piece, you'd have four different sizes. On a removable, you'd have two different lengths, and you had to pick A if you were shooting a carbon and B if you were shooting an aluminum because of how the riser was designed. Well, now you have one uniform post that has adjustable stops built in in quarter-inch increments. So you have a lockable position for your quiver with a stop on it. So on the axis, you have a set screw that you can screw into that rod that if you have a quick disconnect, you can slide it in all the way to that stop and then tighten it down and you don't throw it all the way into your limb or get it too far into your bow. But you have the ability now to adjust how tight you can get to that riser. So if you're shooting one of the longer axle axles, either the Benton Pro 33, the RX-7 Ultra, or our Highline, which is designed for that 34-inch um, type range, you can physically take that quiver and depend it on your arrow length, shorten it down and push it to where you can physically get that quiver hood under the limb. You can't get any quiver on the market any tighter. I didn't. I Well, and here's why. The reason I didn't know that is that we don't have them yet. Um, when the, the This podcast is, be re, is recorded on January 7th. For those of you that are aware of the archery industry, the ATA show is going on. Um, not that this wasn't released because it was released on your release date. It's just getting, getting an inventory to dealers. Uh, we haven't seen the, the super light quiver in that. We've done some research and watched some YouTube videos. We're very excited about it. But I had no idea that you could do what you just said. I didn't either. Which is a phenomenal yep. sale. So, again, with with my specs running the Venton Pro 33, um, my arrow carbon to carbon is 26 and 7 eighths. So then I've got my knock and then my broadhead. Because of my arrow length, I can shorten or bring my hood down and keep everything more centered on the bow versus getting too high. And because of the lateral adjustment that new post gives me on these series of quivers, I've actually got the base of my hood under my limb when you look at it from behind. Because my draw length doesn't deflect that limb as much as someone going to 31, so I don't have as much limb load, I'm able to push that under the limb and still not have contact and literally get it under my limbs in line with my riser. So I've actually taken my sidebar, pulled it in tighter, and dropped mass weight off of it. 
because I've got everything more in line, centered up. Man, I'm intrigued by that. And and if you have any questions, anybody who's listening to this, if you have any questions whatsoever, uh, customer service toy, but I would strongly recommend just coming to the pro shop because we're going to do this. We're hands-on. We can help you. Like he just said, the very smart individual who we're talking to on the phone here, not only because he works for Hoyt, but also his past, which with the reason we didn't go down that road again, Evan, is last year's release. You kind of gave us a huge introduction, and that's going to be in our comments below and our details. Gotcha. <laughs> but you have pro, pro shop experience that, you know, you've been there, you've done that. We can answer little questions, and especially on the setup, we can physically show you any any of the four of us here in the shop we can show you what evan is exactly talking about and and again that's the carbon super light quiver uh for hoyt if you haven't checked it out you need to but something else that i want to talk about is no stranger to the garmin is dan you've had one on since the release of it um and then Dan well, is also. And go ahead real quick i started to cut you off wanted wanted to just touch on something on those quivers too because um, in years past, we've only had two options. So you had your your shorty six-inch removable and then your two-piece. So one thing we did on the shorties, feedback that we got was people wanted a double gripper for better arrow um, connection. So the shorty comes in a double gripper. Both of those grippers are removable. So on that center rod, you can not only move that quiver vertically, spin it around its third axis and laterally adjust it in that bow position. But you can also choose to remove a double gripper if you only want a single. We've also added a third quiver to that line called the stretch. So the stretch is essentially a two-piece design on a quick disconnect. So you have an upper and a lower mount position just like you would for a two-piece quiver. So you have that nice long spance from the hood. It's going to protect your broadheads to that lower grip connection point. But you can now quick disconnect two positions and pull that whole quiver off. So for the guys that like that longer spance of grip position from a two-piece but want the removable, you have that option in the stretch. The other unique thing that we did with the gripper design itself is we've changed that material as well. Um, in years past, I've always had an issue if I run a five millimeter or even go to a six and a half millimeter. So that's going to be a, a 204 or a standard carbon, which is a 246. Yep. When you put those quote unquote larger diameter shafts into a lot of grippers, they have memory and you start to open those up to where if you now go and drop to a four millimeter, which is a, you know, 0.166, the gripper physically can't hold that shaft because you've spread it out. So with our new gripper material, we've redesigned the actual connection point to the arrow to where it actually has a two tier connection system. So if you're running a five or a six and a half mil, when you push that arrow in, when you hit the bottom and it stops, you can look down at the base of that shaft and there's another little recession area. So if you switch to a smaller diameter, you're going to actually have almost a double click 
because you, that smaller diameter goes deeper into the gripper position and has a whole nother connection point just for that smaller diameter arrow. So you can't stretch the gripper out and not be able to switch between different diameter shafts and lose that connection. Amazing. And that's why I love talking to Evan because it is like, boom, mind-blowing. Just opens up your eyes and your ears. <clears throat> I was going to ask you that on the four millimeter. Um, you play around a ton with arrows, so you'd, I don't have to ask it now. You explained it perfectly. And you, by all means, you can cut me off anytime you want because your wealth of information and the super light. Uh, that, and then we can also get those in colors, correct, Evan? Correct. So um, this is the first time we've offered our quivers in the buckskin and the wilderness solids, as well as blackout, subalpine, elevated 2, and the QU Verde 2.0. So all of our camel and solid quivers match all of our bow color options. So if you want to run a solid wilderness top to bottom, you can do it. If you want solid buckskin, you can do it. Finally, not that the black, the black on green or wilderness, the black on tan, buckskin is my favorite color. Uh, you had a Dan buckskin, buckskin last, year. last year. What did you order this year? Mm -hmm. black, all black, 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 black ninja. So are you going to put a buckskin huh? quiver on it? Darren to Darren. Where we were going uh, earlier, and thank you again for the quiver, that uh, they're going to be phenomenal. Dan, you've shot a Garmin for a long, long time, and uh, you're very good with it. Uh, again, before we go any further, check your regulations if you can use a Garmin. But uh, the Garmin... X0 A1i Pro was released. And the, the very first time that I seen this was actually a Hoyt model. Um, you guys have teamed up with them for the Picatinny mount, which makes it streamlined. It's, it's a bigger site. There's no covering that up, but it's a, it's a huge with the pick rail attachment. Uh, Dan, are you putting that on your Hoyt? I haven't seen your new, I haven't seen your new setup yet. I might, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. But you are going to run. A I don't garment. know what, yeah, I don't know which, See, the thing, the thing that when people are questioned, like there's some states that Dan and I hunt, I don't, right. I haven't ran a Garmin except for Turkey on, there's some states we can't use the Garmin. Right. So we have to have another site set up. But uh, for the individuals who are like us or who strictly hunt Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin. Um, I'm, it, I might just try to keep it super just, light. So I might just put my black gold malt light on it or something. Kind of undecided. But, um, but yeah, no, it's kind of nice to see a Picatinny. Garmin, that's sweet. Did you guys, is, is that, did Garmin approach you? Did you approach them? Did you, obviously you had to talk about this. Yeah, so we've, we've got kind of an interesting in with Garmin. Um, a couple of years ago, one of our cam and riser engineers, um, his wife got a job opportunity back in that direction, and he happened to get a job with Garmin. So we've, we've got a little inside action going on um, with with Garmin over there and it was one of those things that just really made sense with what Garmin does both in their testing um, they are they are so deep when it comes to the testing of their product 
um, their standards are so high that it just made sense to have a partnership. Um, like you had mentioned, there's no hiding the size of this site. But once you pick it up and really kind of start feeling the balance, it's truly not as heavy as it makes itself look because of the materials that they're using. Um, this was the first year I got to play with one at all. Um, so I was, again, it's the pro version. Um, I haven't done any other work with any of the previous models. But if you are hunting a state or states that allow it, it truly is a game changer in what it allows you to do and the abilities that it has. I agree with you 110% on that. And we do sell them. We have them in the shop. It's uh, It has a nice Hoyt logo. And uh, it's set up for the Picatinny, which we talked about is integrated into your aluminum and your carbon model. And we and it, for more information on the Garmin, the X-Zero, thank you for the uh, setup on that. I, I, I kind of jump ship when we talk about the big four, but you guys actually had more than just four releases this year. Um, we haven't dabbled on the Carbon RX Twin Turbo yet for the guys that are looking for incredible speeds, uh, shorter brace height. You incorrect me. Actually, I'm not even going to assume. I'm just going to have you explain just a, a little bit on that. It looks like last year's riser. Mm-hmm. And then we yep. also have, we'll talk about the Highline, which I, I want to talk about the Highline more than the Twin Turbo. For some reason, like that's a very familiar look on the Highline. You had to do some different things with the riser on that. It's for our mm-hmm. big boys. But let's talk just a little bit on the Twin Turbo. Uh, it's 350 feet per second, 33 axle axle, which is amazing. Five and a seven eighths brace height, 4.4 pounds, 25 to 30 inches, and then uh, 70 pound max down to 30. Yep. Yep. Um, and so the twin turbo does utilize our riser platform from last year. Um, the reason for that is when we started that cam design, that's the riser that we had primarily to work with. Um, so we did all of our harmonics, um, all of our resonance and sound testing was on that frame and we wanted to keep that going just because of the changeover and everything going on with the RX-7s. This was a way to kind of put some light solely on the twin turbo. Um, it's not going to get lost in the fray because it has a completely different look. Um, it is our first turbo cam that is on a binary platform. And in years past, we've been running that 31-inch axle axle, stretching it back to 33 where our initial turbos were released at back in 2015 era. Uh, again, you, you go back to that string angle, and when you get a 6-inch or a slightly sub-6-inch brace height um, and you start shortening that axle axle down, Form and mechanics become such an important factor that when you add, you know, two inches to that overall axle axle, and you get that better head position, so you see better. The bow is going to physically balance and hold a little bit better. You can take a six-inch brace height and make it such a better shooter that it made sense to stay on that platform. And very well done. We shot that bow. Uh, 
I had the RX4 turbo and uh, I loved it. I loved the just the, the way that the cam kind of pulled against me from a target archer background. Um, it, it was more enjoyable to shoot. And of course the speeds, uh, you know, whatever arrow weight that I run from 460 to 500, it, uh, it seemed to perform and tune. It's hard to, to tune a speed bow on the market, but not a Hoyt, especially with this new binary cam, um, basically tunes right out of the box. And if it doesn't, we can make it very easy, which, uh, we didn't really cover that. It's not old news, but it's last year's news. Um, the spacer system, very, very easy to, to shift the cams, one cam or both cams, uh, to the right or left. So we can keep that center shot and also your broadhead tuning bear shaft, as we talked about. So we do offer the RX twin turbo Hoyt does. We do, uh, in all the colors and it's a very, that 33, if you, if you're ever excited about a speed bow, you, you should shoot it again for that string angle, the brace height, um, it's very forgiving for getting the speed. If that, if you can put those two words together, which I think you can yep. now. Um, let's talk about the Highline. We we up here in the north, the north country. Yeah, we got some big boys, mm-hmm. some big lumberjacks. Oh, uh, don't you know? Yeah, twenty nine <laughs> inch to thirty four inches. I I cannot, and, and I'm going to do this after the podcast. This bow reminds me. I don't know if it reminds me of a target bow that I've seen like the pro force, maybe, I don't know. It, it, to me, it looks very appealing. Um, I would be on the bottom side of the draw cycle, but a little bit on the high line, if you don't mind. Yep. So essentially what we wanted to do with that high line is bring to market the bow for the big boys. Um, you know, we've had the double XL for a number of years. Um, and when we started reverting everything last year to the binary system, we just didn't, we didn't get a bow where we wanted it to be for that longer draw length crowd. So last year we let the double XL ride through another year while we kind of focused on making this bow the best that we could do with a binary cam system. So it's going to feature this year's HBX pro cam, which is not only again, like we talked about an adjustable module. So it's very easy to go through the entire range from 29 to 34, but all of our binary cams have an adjustable let off. So you can shoot 80 or you can shoot 85% to your liking. And essentially what we did on the riser is with the success of the Ventum, all we did is put a Ventum Pro riser on this and lengthen it out to hit a 36 and a half inch axle axle range. And you're exactly right. It is, appealing um it's on the heavier side at 4.9 pounds because you have such a long riser um and again playing with the limb geometry that connection point um really if you flatten it out a little bit more and and add an inch to the riser you're essentially looking at what an Invicta is going to be looking at for for aesthetics and spec mm-hmm you know, our, our Invicta 37 target bow is a 37 axle to axle at seven and three eighths, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're half inch shorter than this with the same limb. So it's a slightly smaller riser, um, with that Ventum pro series look to it. 
and a roller guard instead of a cable slide on the target side. I like it. I like it a lot. So I, I got to ask super, you this. Super smooth. Um, I actually had to play around with a couple of them at 33 inches. And I actually had to go test the draw weights of them because at <laughs> 33 inches, I literally thought I was pulling like a 55, 58 pound bow. Smooth. And it was, and it was 71 and a half. Answer me this. It is. Yep. You're a tech, you know, numbers. Sometimes we get baffled a little bit. How do you measure IBO or when we say, okay, ATA feet per second. (laughs) Yeah. Let's get into this discussion. How in the world do you measure it on a 34 inch, 29 min, 34 inch max? Yep. So, so there is two different, not schools, but there's two different associations when it comes to measuring speed. You have IBO and you have ATA. IBO is based off the International Bow Hunting Organization's standards for 3D competition. Way back in their history, they had to start setting some standards so there was some type of uniformity when guys would show up to a tournament. So what they said is, we are going to allow five grains of arrow weight per pound of draw weight up to an 80-pound bow. And because of manufacturing inconsistencies at the time, we'll allow a two-pound buffer. But there was no draw length restriction with that. So IBO numbers do not have a draw length restriction. So if I can build a bow at 33 inches, I can test it at 80 pounds with my two-pound manufacturer allotment. So I can test it at 82 and a 400-grain arrow. That's five grains per pound at the 80-pound allotment. I don't have to account for the two extra, so it's just bonus. I can publish that as my IBO speed, and that is within those standards. ATA, or Archery Trade Association guidelines for speed, are much more stringent and restrictive. You can test at 70 pounds, and you get two-tenths is all. So 70.2 is the peak that you can test at. They do maintain the five grains of arrow weight per pound of bow. So it's a 350-grain arrow at 70 pounds. And they cap your draw length at 30 inches, and you're allowed a quarter inch draw length margin for error. So your max testing standards for ATA speed restrictions is a 30 and a quarter inch draw length at 70.2 pounds with a 350 grain arrow. So when you look at a manufacturer speed for ATA and a manufacturer speed for IBO, and you're trying to figure out where am I going to be if I shoot a 440 grain arrow at 28 and a half inch draw length and 74 pounds. If you deduct 3.5 feet per second for every grain on your arrow, or sorry, 
one foot per second for every 3.5 grains, six feet per second per half inch of draw length, and I usually go 11 to 12 feet for um, 10 pounds. Okay. With an with an ATA spec bow, most of the time I can guess a consumer's actual speed that they're going to put through a chronograph to within three to five feet per second of a bow with ATA speed specs because they're so strict on here's your speed, here's your weight, you know, here's the three things you have to be in this criteria. When you go and look at an IBO speed number, it's going to be much more varied because I don't know if that bow was tested at 82 pounds and 33 inches, 82 pounds and 30 inches, 70 pounds, 30 inches with a 350 grain arrow. There's, there's so many different variables that, I mean, I've been off as much as like 17 to 18 feet per second when we actually put a customer set up through a chronograph. So I, uh, little, little differences there as far <laughs> as the, the IBO and the ATA. Now, when you go to the High Line, we are still going to advertise that as an ATA spec because that's the standard that we hold ourselves to. So that bow can shoot 34 inches. We're going to test it at 30 mm-hmm. at 70 pounds of 350 grain arrow. So blowing. our number, our number on that of three forty-five, is on the bottom end yeah. of that number two module. It's an inch off the bottom. Right. So, which we'll you know, better. it's there's not a lot of companies that are open about that. Actually, there's none, none that are. <laughs> oh, you know. Um, yep. And last last research I did, um, I wrote an article a couple of years ago about the two. Um, when I looked at all the manufacturers I could find, two manufacturers in the entire industry were using ATA. Everybody else was using IBO. Mm-hmm. Some of them would be specific, and they would say IBO at a specific draw length. Okay. Um, and that was three or four of them. But everybody else will just put IBO in there, and you don't know, is it 30 inches? Is it 32? Is it, well, that bow goes to 34. They testing it at 34. That's crazy. Crazy. Dude, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. I know that you have a busy day ahead of you, and we're going to go sell some bows off the wall because that's what we do. But here's the cool thing. Um, Hoyt is open book. You can get a hold of them. They have a phenomenal social media. Uh, They have their own YouTube channel. Everything is laid out. And uh, you'll see some familiar faces on there. You guys have the Hoyt Tagged Out program on social media, which is, is we had some guys in the shop, shot their first turkey, and they got put on there. Um, they do a great job on all of their releases and new things. There's some some things that we didn't talk about, again, like the Torix and the Torix XT, the Eclipse. Uh, we also have some cool stuff that is coming. We're going to have all the accessories. We have the Carbon Go Sticks, which is a stabilizer quick disconnect bow stand all in one um all of that will be available our display bow and also you can shoot it all evan uh, on behalf of dan and i we greatly appreciate every conversation and as long as it works out for you we'll keep on with the conversation and relationship 
you open our eyes every year. You guys had an incredible release, and we hope for big, big, big things on that. We uh, have a ton of them on order. We also, thank you to Hoyt, we had a bunch of bows on release date. Uh, be dead honest with you, we don't have a bunch of bows as of right now because they've sold, <laughs> but we're getting more and more. Um, shipment details, for those of you that don't know the industry and getting products right now, um, everybody's doing everything that they can. And uh, we're, we're cautious about giving you release dates or release dates, uh, at ETAs on that, but they are coming. And we do have some here that we can get you hooked up. We have actually a very, very good lineup of the aluminum bows and our carbon bows we can have you shoot. But Evan, uh, thank you again for everything, man. No, it's a pleasure, boys. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate uh, it. I lo I'm loving the tradition. Absolutely. And uh, we will we'll probably, maybe we should talk to you before season just to see what tags that you have drawn <laughs> to give you a little good look. So I, it's not I could use that. Not uh, 700 days that. before you draw on another one. But uh, we're yeah, going to wrap things cross, up. Cross my fingers. We got them crossed for you, dude. On behalf of everybody at Hoyt and Archery Country Podcasts, check out all our social media platforms and subscribe if you have not. Thank you for downloading this and listening. On behalf of everybody, we'll see you on down the road. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcasts.